Hello, and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Renee Hatcher, Assistant Professor of Law and Director of the Community Enterprise and Solidarity Economy Clinic at University of Illinois Chicago John Marshall Law School. We will discuss her articles toward a solidarity economy approach to community economic development and solidarity economy lawyering. So welcome to the show, Renee. Thanks so much, Brian. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that Priya Bhaskaran uh, introduced you to me because I thought these articles were really interesting. And I'll, I'll confess, Renee, I had never heard of the solidarity economy movement before I read your papers, even though I kind of have some familiarity with some of the sort of basic kind of models of community engagement and community activity that you're talking about. And it sounds like it's kind of a new idea. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about what it is and sort of how it conceptualizes economic relationships. Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, you're not alone in that um, a lot of people haven't necessarily heard the term solidarity economy, but actually are really familiar with a lot of its practices and some of the institutions that kind of make up the solidarity economy. So just on a very basic level, the solidarity economy is simply an idea and a theory that basically says what we need is actually an economy that centers the needs of people and the planet as opposed to the maximization of profit, right, in, in kind of sharp contrast to uh, capitalism. And so solidarity economy theory has been around, you know, probably since the 70s, but really the practices of solidarity economy are, I mean, basic to indigenous societies and communal societies and have existed in almost every single culture uh, looking back um, over time. Um, but the solidarity economy movement specific to the United States really started to develop around 2007 um, out of the U.S. Social Forum and a lot of folks who were starting to really recognize that we need kind of a movement of movements to address a lot of the different systems um, within our society. and kind of also came about through the economic downturn and the Great Recession, where people were really recognizing that the economy doesn't work, one, the way that we say it does, but more broadly, the economy doesn't work for the majority of people. Um, so the economy, uh, the solidarity economy movement really is this idea, again, to put the needs of people and the planet uh, kind of at the forefront of how we build our institutions, our economic institutions, our social institutions, how we start to think of um, our political economy and transforming the political economy in ways that actually do that. Um, but then also, you know, it has a number of kind of manifestations. And so we start to talk about how do we approach um, building different kinds of what we would consider to be just nonprofit organizations in ways that really um, center the, the ideas of solidarity. How do we start to think about building businesses differently? How do we um, essentially restructure a society in ways that kind of exemplify these five principles of the solidarity economy, which um, are solidarity, right? This idea of principled action that we really need to be intentional about how we're creating systems and processes 
within institutions and in the larger society, um, equity in all dimensions. So we have a lot of work to do, right, to dismantle racism, to address issues of patriarchy, of imperialism, um, of ableism, all the ways in which people are marginalized and disadvantaged because of uh, their identities in different ways. And so really starting to think about ways to deconstruct those types of oppression as we're building out a different kind of economy and society. Um, and then uh, this idea of sustainability or ecological practices. So what are the things that we need to do um, to make sure that we are actually living within our means and not continuing down this really horrid path of pro-growth development that we know is unsustainable and that we know has really been taxing the the planet in ways that we are all experiencing in different ways and will continue to place burdens and disrupt our society and economy um, as we continue to get deeper into the climate crisis. Um, and then this idea of democratizing or um, uh, democratizing uh, the, the economy, but also um, making sure that the most amount of people can participate in different ways. And so we've seen people kind of come together around uh, people's assemblies and trying to create different mechanisms and ways in which more people can participate. And then finally, this principle of pluralism, which basically says that there's no one right way that we have to think about the economy in context of the needs of people, of the history of different places, of kind of the assets and the needs of um, different uh micro economies and um, uh, regions, right, and in their own context. And so that the idea really that the people on the ground have the best sense of what they actually need and the kinds of institutions that will best serve them. Um, so again, there are five, just to, to reiterate, like, there are these five principles of solidarity economy, um, solidarity, um, ecological practices or sustainability, pluralism, equity in all dimensions, and participatory democracy. Well, so Renee, when I teach nonprofit law, right, it's really kind of typical, I, I think, among people teaching in that area to kind of conceptualize the economy or the political economy in terms of three sectors, right? The government sector, the private sector, and the third sector or, or nonprofit or, or charitable sector. In some ways, reading your papers, I got the sense that the solidarity economy was thinking about the third sector or charitable sector in some ways, but it also seems like there's something different that it's proposing or a different kind of mindset. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you would differentiate the solidarity economy movement and theory from more traditional uh, charity law type theory and the nonprofit sector more generally. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a great question because I think a lot of the literature kind of talks about the social economy or the third sector in a very particular way. Um, that incorporates like social enterprise, right? Um, using the profit model to do good in the world or um, in just thinking about philanthropy and like traditional nonprofits. And I think what we've seen, particularly like in the 70s, 80s, 90s, like is, is really an emergence of this um, critique, 
right, to the nonprofit sector, to philanthropy, right, this whole idea of the nonprofit industrial complex and the ways in which nonprofits are, you know, structured much like for-profits in the sense that you have a, a, a board of directors, right, that sometimes is completely disconnected from the actual issues that um, the nonprofit or the communities that the nonprofit is actually working within, um, and then they basically set directives that the staff carry out. And so um, not to say that nonprofits or the charitable sector is not a part of the solidarity economy, but it is. it also is to say the solidarity economy requires something more than simply this idea that you're going to work for the public good or a charitable purpose. Um, but that you really have to embed certain principles, both in the work that you're doing and the way in which you're actually approaching that work. And so, again, that's why the the principles of the solidarity economy really run the gamut of different kinds of um, organizations, whether they be nonprofit, for profit, um, but basically says, says actually what's more important is that there are certain principles at the heart of the work that you're doing. And so I think the solidarity economy kind of offers a, a, in some ways, a guide to the third sector as to what is required. Um, so, for example, we know that there are a lot of social enterprises that have actually done a lot of harm in third world countries and trying to advance what they saw to be a, a social mission, but um, really didn't necessarily benefit or serve the people that they were engaging with or, or the constituencies that they were serving in ways that were uh, that gave them agency that actually uh, were to their benefit in the long term um, that also got at the root problem of some of the issues that they were trying to address, like issues of inequality or racism or, um, you know, uh, post-colonialism in terms of just the ways in which uh, obviously certain countries are disadvantaged by our global economic system. And so I think the solidarity economy, again, provides us a different way to think about transforming the economy, addressing issues of inequality, addressing issues of racism, of sexism, of, of all the different types of systems and of oppression that we know are embedded in our economic and social systems. And um, really is, is to say that every, whether on the individual level, whether on kind of within the uh, philanthropic community or the nonprofit community or the business community, that there are certain ways in which we can organize things differently um, that actually speak to a completely different vision um, of our society and economy that actually values people and ensures that we're not continuing, you know, down this very, very um, harmful path of of the climate crisis, right? Of of actually radically changing the way that we're doing things so we can sustain ourselves and sustain the planet. Well, if if I may, I mean, reading your papers, I got the sense that the solidarity economy movement sort of reflects a lot of the values that I see sort of expressed by many grassroots charities, but in a more kind of systematized, theoretically sort of engaged way. Do you think that's a fair assessment of at least where some of these values are coming from? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things that, and one of the reasons why I try to incorporate solidarity economy 
kind of theory to my approach, both to lawyering, but also just to organizing work is because it's not a static theory, right? It's, it's the idea really is that the solidarity economy is made of all of these different kinds of practices and institutions and organizations, and that there's value in the practice that we can learn from and then more or less have it inform how the theory evolves and vice versa. So the idea being that the theory of solidarity economy can inform the practice of solidarity economy or the solidarity economy movement more broadly, and that the movement itself, the actual experiments and practices and and the types of cooperatives and initiatives of mutual aid and time banking and bartering and um, you know gift giving can inform the theory itself. And so I think that's exactly right. I mean, the point that you made about grassroots organizations kind of putting forth a lot of these principles, that's where it comes from. And again, the idea being that what we know doesn't work, right? What, and particularly in this moment of the COVID crisis, we have seen all the ways in which our current economic system is failing us and also what years of disinvestment in public services and public goods actually results in in terms of moments of crisis where we actually need to be able to make sure that people have access to health care, that people can get food or that people can be able to um, have quality shelter, even if they don't necessarily have a paycheck coming in. So I think it's become particularly clear that we need new ways of doing things and institutions. And those those practices, those institutions are always most effective when they're coming from grassroots, when they're coming from the bottom up, as opposed to um, we've seen some of the failings and shortcomings of the programs that the government obviously has put in place at this time, but also the way in which capitalism and the market and private firms and corporations um, are failing to protect people, are failing to make sure that people have what they need, um, and really are unable and not unwilling in many ways because they're not incentivized really to protect life as, but more obviously to protect their bottom line and their profit. And so um, a lot of the solidarity economy movement and theory has come from the grassroots. And really the idea being is what we need is community controlled institutions, again, whether they be for profit or nonprofit that are actually identifying, addressing the needs of people, and also that are under the control of folks because they have the best access. Mm. Well, so I wonder if we could pivot a little bit to talk to the specific examples you provide in in your papers. Um, beginning with your, your paper on community economic development. So I, mean, I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you think the traditional market-based approach to community economic development perceives a problem and tries to address the problems and why that approach hasn't been effective. And then maybe some sort of examples of alternative approaches uh, through a sort of solidarity economy lens that might um, be more effective at addressing the kinds of problems that community economic development is intended to solve? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I mean, all too often, you know, the, and the way in which I think I've come to a lot of this work and interest in this work is because for so long, a lot of what I was doing was what was seen as probably more traditional community economic development, helping, you know, small businesses or thinking about uh, what benefits could come out of large development projects that were going to be based in disinvested neighborhoods. And for anybody who's seen that work up close, you see all of the failings, at least from the perspective of the actual community residents of, of so many of those programs. And it's not necessarily an intentional thing. I think there are lots of, uh, there have been a lot of federal programs, there have been a lot of like local state programs um, that are trying to incentivize economic development. And they're doing that by incentivizing private firms really to come in and make additional investments, usually through subsidy programs or other kinds of perks or maybe tax abatements, things like that, um, or you know, providing some kind of technical assistance to small businesses to start in new neighborhoods. Um, but there's so, there are so many limitations on that. And actually, a lot of that traditional economic development work has been very harmful to residents and, and communities. And so I think one of the most um, clear examples of this is just in terms of quality, affordable housing. Uh, so we've seen over the last decades, a lot of the federal programs that have sh uh, shifted to mixed income based approaches to um, housing or, uh, um, you know, where there are large development subsidies for new projects. And perhaps there's, you know, somewhere between a three and a 10% set aside for affordable housing. And what the result of that has ultimately been is that there's a affordable housing crisis in almost every city in this country right now. Simply, there's not enough affordable housing for people to actually be able to access that. And that obviously causes other issues. Um, and so what the solidarity economy, what the solidarity economy intervention for something like that would be is like, well, let's think about other ways in which people can actually hold and own property together that could increase our stock of affordable housing. So, for example, thinking about things like housing cooperatives or uh, thinking about different kinds of housing uh, co-ops um, or community land trusts where there's actually a collective of people who are the direct beneficiaries but also have now control over those housing assets to direct them and to basically make decisions that are in their best interest and to create the things that they need to create. And so we've seen a lot of success, for example, in cities like Boston and Baltimore around uh, using um, housing cooperatives or community land trusts um, to hold land. There's a lot of that work that's happening now in the Bay Area, as obviously people have been pushed out and priced out and uh, entire neighborhoods have been erased in part because of um, increasing housing prices or um, the spikes in um, uh, property taxes as a particular neighborhood gentrifies. And so there are community-based tools that are you know, bound by this idea of the solidarity economy that can address these problems in another way. And the key things to me is really this idea of giving agency uh, to actual like civil society, to people, right? 
um, in creating the solutions that they need, but also controlling those institutions that are providing them those solutions. So we're thinking about different vehicles for collective action that are substantively addressing right the real issues that people see in their own neighborhoods, but also giving them agency in terms of directing and controlling those institutions. And we know that that's far more effective in looking at the programs of the past of folks trying to access different federal programs um, when you give them more participation in the services or the institutions that they are actually benefiting from. They're more uh, effective. They tend to directly be responsive to the actual concerns and needs of people and they don't go neglected in the same ways. In this particular historical moment, it seems like, you know, there's going to need to be in the near future a lot of government and charitable sector involvement in, you know, communities writ large in helping people deal with the economic repercussions of the coronavirus pandemic and uh, quarantining and all of the kind of social and economic effects of that. I wonder if you think that sort of solidarity economy style thinking has um, sort of lessons that it might teach to both federal, state, and maybe most importantly, kind of local governments and organizations uh, kind of trying to deal with these problems on the ground. Absolutely. I think, you know, so much of what I'm seeing now here in Chicago, and I think also in other communities, is really, there's increased visibility of the solidarity economy. So for example, you know, there's a lot of um, conversation now, and I think just recognition of a lot of the mutual aid that's happening in this moment in terms of getting food to people who need it, um, but also making sure that there are like, uh, different community distributions for PPE and other protective gear. Um, we have people who are organizing rent strikes to make sure that people can stay in their homes and not just that they don't get evicted, but also that they don't necessarily have to pay if they're unable to pay because they've been missing so much, so many paychecks. And so, um, so much of what I've seen as a result of COVID is grassroots organizations who have been mobilizing really quickly to make sure that they can just fundamentally get people what they need. Um, and again, I think that speaks to kind of the vastness of the solidarity economy itself that already exists in every single city across the country. Um, it speaks to the movement around the people's bailout and the principles that they came up with in terms of any kind of stimulus or bailout package really should benefit that of the workers and protect life um, and also to protect our democratic process, right? And so they're articulate, articulating a lot of what the solidarity economy is calling for in this moment. Um, but in terms of the role of government, I think the best thing that they can do is really um, listen to what people say that they need because they're in the best position, right, to... Um, to, to know what it is that they're needing, what they're experiencing in this moment. I mean, we think about all the people that don't have health care, the disproportionate ways in which the COVID um, crisis and um, COVID-19 is affecting Black communities and Latinx communities and Indigenous communities and folks who can't necessarily access health care. And so I think 
if anything, the crisis itself is exposing all the ways in which we need a fundamentally new type of economy and society that actually values people at its core. And I think in stark terms for the first time, we're now talking about right the protection of life versus what we see to be the kind of dominant capitalism um, uh, way of constant pro-growth within our economy and the way that devalues life in, in stark terms. And people are having that conversation explicitly. And so uh, what I would say in terms of what the government can learn from this moment is, one, I think there, there will be more recognition of the need and the importance of grassroots organizations and solidarity economy initiatives that are actually addressing people's material needs in this moment. I mean, I think it's been very clear also to just folks that the government is not necessarily going to save them in any real way and that we have to organize our own institutions that will actually fundamentally address our needs. Um, But then also simply to listen, to listen to the call of our movements in terms of what we need. I mean, I think the People's Bailout has articulated exactly, you know, what I would say to be the demands of the solidarity economy in this moment in terms of how we navigate and get resources to folks um, within this moment um, to make sure that we can sustain ourselves, to make sure that we're protecting life, to make sure that we're not... um, um, continuing the systems that we know are um, have uh, been completely delegating burdens in a very particular way to people of color, uh, to to women, to frontline workers, to service workers, and devaluing people for so long. Well, Renee, a lot of the listeners of this podcast are law professors, lawyers, and and law students. And in, in your paper, Solidarity Economy Lawyering, you talk about how lawyers in various roles can be involved in sort of realizing and promoting some of these solidarity economy-related values and also assisting in the solidarity economy movement. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know, how you think lawyers can be helpful and maybe even specifically sort of how lawyers can be helpful in this particular moment. Yeah, I think that there's, I think there's an important role for lawyers to play in the solidarity economy uh, movement. So a couple of things, I mean, one, there are lawyers who are working um, in a solidarity economy movement in diff- from different perspectives, you know, right now and have been for a very long time. So that can look like, you know, assisting, um, cooperatives to form, helping people to understand the regulations and rules around money in terms of bartering or food, um, or I'm sorry, time banking and trying to figure out ways in which people can exchange services without actually having to exchange money, um, to think about new ways in which we can structure entities and actual principles and kind of values um, that can be embedded into our institutions and our governance mechanisms. And so a lot of this work is already happening. Um, But also, you know, I think that, and part of what my piece calls for is really for lawyers to start to reimagine the law. Like, how do we start to think about all the new ways in which we need to uh, advocate for law reform, 
to be open to new ways of um, governance and um, new values in, in terms of embedding them into different kinds of you know, economic transactions? Um, and how do we start to reimagine the way we practice law, the law itself? And I think what's wonderful about this work is like it's very cutting edge um, in terms of doing some of the law reform that's required. Um, but also just being open to different ways of building institutions, again, that are reflective of the values of the solidarity economy. And so um, another aspect that I can discuss in the paper is this idea that scaling the solidarity economy is not really about kind of what we think about in terms of growth and scale of a business or expansion. It's more about um, horizontal scaling, but also putting solidarity economy initiatives, businesses, organizations in relationship with each other in different ways, um, relationship of mutual support. Sometimes that means supply chain, um, but trying to actually um, organize and structure relationships between solidarity economy organizations and institutions in ways that help to fortify it and to scale it in a horizontal way and such that it becomes ultimately the dominant economy and thinking about ways of approaching what I um, what is referred to as radical transactionalism. So transactional legal work in new ways that um, allow for different ideas of ownership, you know, mostly collective ownership, um, but also just new values in terms of economic relationships and transactions. Well, so Renee, in, in closing, I mean, I, I think, I don't think I'm alone in noticing in the last, you know, five to 10 years that there's been an increasing interest in sort of socialism and democratic socialism, especially among young people. I wonder if you think that that's sort of consistent with or suggests uh, a similar kind of interest in the solidarity economy movement and theories that you're discussing, because it seems to me like there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And so I think there's a lot of overlap in terms of um, some of that interest. And, you know, one of, I think one of the reasons why people get excited about the solidarity economy, because it, it kind of gives you a blueprint, a way in which we can today start to transform the units of the economy and grow that um, alternative economy in ways that ultimately can and is possible to overtake the dominant economy. And so in, in thinking about, you know, um, interest in socialism or just the reinvestment in um, public institutions and the commons, um, I think that people see solidarity economy as a way in which to get there. And I, I think that's also evident by the explosion of interest in worker co-ops and the emergence of so many more worker co-ops that are mostly women of color who are starting these kinds of orgs or um, um, institutions or businesses. Um, and the fact that there is um, a, such of a, a new kind of open-mindedness to solidarity economy generally and to socialism um, because I think it recognizes all the ways in which government has failed us and in ways that capitalism has kind of captured democracy. Uh, and solidarity economy beca becomes a way in which people actually in community can retake 
institutions that actually serve their needs and put their best interest um, at the heart of what happens moving forward and that they can control and have agency in those institutions. Well, Renee, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was a real pleasure talking to you. And I was happy to learn more about the idea of the solidarity economy. And I hope listeners will check out your fascinating papers, including the new one, which will be coming out in the Howard Law Review, as I understand, pretty soon. We'll we'll put up a link to that as soon as it's available. Thanks so much, Brian. Um, and I really appreciate you know having this conversation with you and hope that people will continue to engage with these ideas. Must be tense with common 